Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm your host, Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Derek, you sent me an article during the week um, that uh, via email there, and I've given it a listen to and give it a reading, and you had a few things you wanted to say about this article. Yes, uh, I came across an article on uh, CBC. It's uh, CBC Radio, uh, the 180, and, and they, it got me to thinking about the canoe and, uh, and canoeing in general. So what I think about, or when I think of canoeing, I think of exploration, I think of discovery, escapism. I think of shedding the grip of work and life, and it's a chance or maybe an opportunity to get away from the toil of life and work. I think of quiet reflection on flat water as the sun breaks through early morning mist. That's what I think about when I think of canoeing and getting out there. I don't think about European colonialism, theft, or genocide. So this article... This uh, article on the 180, it's on the CBC website. Uh, there's a interview with Maceo Dean. She's a professor of English at the University of Victoria on Vancouver Island, British Columbia. And she had a whole, she has a whole theme or theology when it comes to, comes to canoeing. And I'm not sure if she's trying to maybe push a uh, national dialogue in, uh, you know, it's following up on the truth and reconciliation movement. I'm not sure what her, what what she's trying to get at. And some parts of her discussion and her comments I somewhat agree with, but there's other portions that I think she's totally off base. So I, I thought that we could, uh, we could place this onto the Paddling Adventures radio website, place a link. You can go to the CBC website and listen to his, uh, the interview on, uh, from the link on CBC Radio, uh, but you know we could just take a ch- a chance here or an opportunity here, Sean, to kind of discuss it. What did you think about it when I sent that to you? I think I sent it to you yesterday. Now I should say that this is over a month old. It was first recorded on March sixth. Yeah. So it's uh, it's now it's it's timely I think to discuss it, but it's also about a month old. The article. Yeah, March fourth it was posted. Uh... It was an interview by Jim Brown on the 180 on CBC Radio. Um, yeah, I, I, I understand what she is saying about the canoe. Uh, you definitely have to listen to the the interview to um, to get the full impact of of this interview uh, to get the whole impact of what she's saying. Um, I took offense to a couple things she said, but I I do understand, in a way, what she's saying. It's it, it could be very touchy uh, subject. It here. is a touchy subject, and we agonized. We had huge discussions about this before we did any recording, to try and figure out how we were going to approach this. So we're trying to be as neutral as possible, and we want you guys who are listening to listen to the audio and make your own decisions. But don't react, be reactionary about it. Just think about it and think about what she's saying and try and come to a level playing field with it. Yeah, I think we should go over a couple of things that are, are said in this sort of to give a, a heads up because um, I think we do need to, to discuss this. Um, she says, the, the, and I'm just sort of paraphrasing bits and pieces of what she's saying here, the canoe is a narrative that promotes values that we ascribe to. But it's also a narrative which 
we use to obscure and erase another narrative about theft and genocide. And she's basically telling us that the canoe was used to steal the land and, you know, genocide of the indigenous people um, back when the Europeans first came across uh, to the, you know, to the new world sort of, sort of thing. Um, I understand what she's saying there. Whether I fully agree with it or not is another story. It was a tool that was used for exploration into the new world. Exactly. It wasn't used specifically to take the land and to take, you know, to displace the indigenous people. Um, if she wants to get into that, then she'd better add things like wagon trains and the railway because that did the same sort of thing. Now you say add that. Now she is specifically gearing, and we discussed this earlier too, that the wagon train and the, the railway, it's, it's sort of an Americanism. And whereas our, we come at this from an, as the canoe being one of the seven wonders of Canada. The canoe is our national symbol. The canoe is our grassroots, our, what we've come from, what we've brought, we've been brought from. And, but she's trying to, I, I, I'm not sure what she's trying to get at, but I just, I'm not sure that I like where she's going with this. Well, she says, the canoe lets us get in touch with nature. And it, it makes us feel guiltless of terrible things the Canadian government and Canadians in general did to the First Nations people. I'm sorry, but when I get in a canoe, th there's no guilt to be had. I'm not dealing with any of that. I'm, I'm out there to enjoy nature. I'm out there to, as you say, escape from... Modern the everyday life. reality of modern life, to get away from it all, to refresh, to, to recoup and recharge my batteries. There's no guilt involved. I, I, I really don't see where she's coming from in that part. And I'm not sure that I'm willing to go down that road and every time I go canoeing that I should ascribe to the fact that when I first put my paddle in the water and I first hit that first put in and right to the end of the, my trip to the last takeout, that I should be thinking about the guilt of my forebears or the guilt of my, you know, of who came before me. I, I'm just, I'm not sure that that's the route that I want to be taking. It really takes away from the whole aspect of why we do go out there. And I'm not, I'm also not saying, I'm not taking away from, I'm not trying to erase what Europeans have done in the first place. I'm just saying that I'm not... It's really hard to discuss and really hard to nail down and still be sensitive about the issue. Yeah. Um, if I was, and I'll take it into example is when I, I was, I was part, I, I've been in, in, on discussion boards about the um, Algonquin Park um, Native Land Treaty thing. Yeah, the Algonquin Territory, yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know what? I've seen the maps of the traditional Algonquin territory and what, you know, they claim is their, as their traditional lands and, and, you know, what they want and all that sort of stuff. But every time I go on a canoe trip in Algonquin park, I'm not thinking about that. I go uh, a couple of years back, I did a wilderness trip up through Woodland Caribou, Nash, uh, provincial park. 
And on one of the, the main heritage rivers are um, some pictographs on the, on the sides of the cliffs and, and the rocks. And I, I saw them. I thought they were fantastic. I was like, wow, I can't believe they've lasted this long. And I know who did them. Yeah. You know, you, you learn, you learn all that before you go on the trip, you you know, about the area and stuff. But because I was in a canoe, I'm supposed to feel guilty once I see that sort of stuff. That ain't happening. Mm-hmm. And, and she might be just trying to create a national dialogue or, and I'm trying not to be too reactionary here, but maybe she's, I don't know, trying to create some movement to sell her book more and i don't know i you know i wish i could actually talk to her but i don't know if i want to go that far yeah um well i'll just go here one thing i'll add is uh she one of the things that i think bothered us both considerably is is that she called this a privileged white man sport she felt that it was uh, people who participate in canoeing are almost completely white, highly educated. She talked about how good spellers they are and that we're all upper middle class. And she talked about uh, about everybody that canoes as if from the point of view of Pierre Trudeau and Pierre Burton and stuff like that. And I think that's really a she's taking a very narrow slice of people who enjoy the sport. And she's she's painting everybody else into that corner. Yeah, um, the majority of wilderness trippers are white, older men. They're well-educated. They have a privileged place in society. Well, you, uh, and, the, you know, she hints that they come from money. They've got money because, you know, they're, they got that, that money to be able to go do all these things. Well, nobody's told my bank that. <laughs> it doesn't describe um, me either. I don't have any... You know, college, university diplomas hanging on my wall. And if I did, I I wish I could find them. I've been canoe tripping in the wilderness since uh, my mid-twenties. So if that makes me an old, rich, educated guy, (laughs) then so be it. That is the one point that I really, really, really took offense to with her in this interview. Yes. It's... And she talks about this book called The Arctic Cairn Notes, which I guess there's a there's this place up, a uh, cairn up in, on the, Thel, the, the Thelon River. Thelon River. So it's yeah. northern Hudson Bay off to the west. And there's a t- couple of tributaries uh, off, and off of one of the lakes off the tributaries, the Thelon River and a couple of other rivers. And there's a cairn on the side of the river that I guess it's a popular spot for people to stop and they bury their notes inside this cairn. So you'll write a note. And what they found in this, this gentleman, was the gentleman's name who wrote the book? Uh, that I can't So remember. this gentleman, he, uh, he wrote this book and he, from the, from the notes, he created the writings of anybody who's left these notes in the cairn. Yeah. And you know what? When you're going up there, yeah, you do need some money to get up that way. I mean, like I say, we've looked into, uh, you know, I've done all the the uh, footwork to find out what it's going to cost if I go to Banks Island because that's just, yeah. you know, yeah. it's going to cost me like, you know, 15, 16, almost 20 grand sort of deal. Yeah, but you know what? If I save up over 20 years, that doesn't make me a rich guy to do that. You know, like you got to save up for stuff like that. So I think she's reaching for straws at some point and drawing conclusions and putting words in our mouth I, at she's times. She's trying to make her point, but I think she's, she's reaching far afield. She's, she's reaching outside of, uh, of 
she's trying to create some sort of narrative. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she the is. Arctic Care Notes, I just looked it up. It's a book by David F. Pelly, P-E-L-L-Y. Yeah. Now, I'll just go on to say here, it, this interview that she did with Jim Brown on CBC, um, he just lists a little thing here about her book is called A Canoe Paddle, sorry, Inheriting a Canoe Paddle. The Canoe in Discourses of English-Canadian Nationalism. So Jim Brown goes on to, to say, In this interview, Dean asks us to consider the canoe and what is really it really represents in Canadian society and whose symbol it is. To Dean, the story Canadians tell themselves about the canoe is one of European colonialism while ignoring the role the canoe played in displacing and harming Indigenous people. She notes that hobbyist canoers today are a pretty specific group. So, as we've described earlier, as we read earlier, I I, I don't tell myself these stories. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I, like I say, I can see where she's coming from. That yes, the canoe was used in colonialism to help explore the country that became Canada. Yes, but the canoe is a tool. It's a method like you, it was, we were incapable or Europeans were incapable of taking horse and wagon across our northern lands into Canada because of the heavy woodedness, the large amounts of lakes, rivers and waterways. So the canoe was, was obviously a, a sound choice to use. So, it, but it was a tool. I don't know if we can call it a symbol. Any, anything as much as, as how the Americans and Europeans went across into the West by, you know, driving the railroad and, and wagon trains and stuff like that. Should, should the Americans feel guilty about their railroads and, and their wagon trains? Uh, I'm not sure. No. Yeah. Um, you know, okay, so if they put this little quote here on the page for, certainly the majority of wilderness canoers are people who have a very privileged place in society. They're frequently highly educated people. They're almost completely white. Well, to all my friends that are wilderness trippers out there, I could use a loan. I just bought a new canoe and I got to pay it off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, all you trippers, white people, buy me a canoe. So, you know what? We're going to leave this leave this here, I think. And you, and you obviously, anybody who's listening to us can see that we're a little bit disturbed by the whole discussion and obviously i'm going to be thinking about this over the next little while trying to come to some sort of conclusion uh but i'm just uh, i'm just not willing to take her road her path and the direction she wants us to think about it i think there is a happy middle ground uh but i don't think we should be feeling guilty about getting out there on the water in a canoe no um if, if you want to continue on uh, anybody that goes out in a kayak, where do kayaks come from? Inuit. The Inuit. So, sorry you kayakers out there, but hey. You yeah, start feeling guilty. Yeah, start feeling guilty. We're going to put a link to this, this interview. It's only about eight and a half minutes long. We'll put it on our Facebook page. We'll put it on our, our website. Uh, we definitely urge you to take a listen to it. And if anything else, form your own opinion. And, you know, there, there's links here you, that show her book. Um, if you're interested in more info, go go pick up her book and read it. Um, form your own opinion of it. But like I say, this is just one of those things that, you know what? Yeah, I see sort of what she's saying, but there's a lot of words she's putting in my mouth as a canoeer. Um, canoeist? Canoeer? 
Canoeist. Canoeist. Um, that I'm not happy with. And uh, we'll, leave, we'll leave it up to you to make your own opinions on this, but I definitely, definitely urge that you take a listen to it and, um, and see what, what the, uh, she has to say and make your own, own opinions. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Uh, Derek, do you read? <laughs> You're really going to start with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yes, I read. <laughs> I told you. So do I, coincidentally. <laughs> when I was on, uh, back in my, my October trip, uh, we're for nine days, um, my buddy Glenn that, uh, I was tripping with, he brought out a book. Uh, we were sitting around the, the camp one night and he brought a book called Bushcraft 101. That's a coincidence. That's what I have in my hand right now. What a coincidence. A field guide to the art of wilderness survival by Dave Canterbury. I flipped through the book at the time, uh, Glenn's copy, and just looking at some of this stuff and I'm thinking, you know what? This is pretty cool. This tells you a lot of what you would need to survive out in the bush. And, you know, so if you read this book, you learn what's in it. If something happens, you're out in the bush, you can, you know, hopefully keep yourself alive long enough to, you know, till you're rescued. But what I took from the book is if I want to take my canoe tripping or my camping or my hiking or, you know, just being out in the wilderness to another level, I could study this book and learn um, different ways to make a fire, uh, different knots, different ways, uh, you know, of, of um, building a, a shelter. Now, we're not talking about running out there and being survivor man, are we? We're no. Talking, yes, no. we're talking something to increase the pleasure, increase the enjoyment, and maybe enhance your safety in the backwoods. Yeah, and like I say, I mean, the book on a whole, I think, is, is more of a in-case-something-happens sort yes. of deal. Yeah. But he's he's put into two different sections. The first section, he talks about gear before you go on your trip. Yes. The second section is in the bush or on your on your trip, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and I see. I'm going scrolling through. He's talking about setting up camp, navigations, yeah. stuff like that. So when I read the book, it came at me from three different angles. First was um, the survivalist angle. Yes. You know, you're going to learn all this stuff, so if you have to survive in the bush, you can. The other angle was from a, a minimalist canoe tripper or hiker point of view, where you're you're starting to leave stuff at home. You know, you're not bringing a big massive tent. You're bringing a, maybe a wool blanket. You're putting, you know, uh, just a tarp instead of the tent, uh, that sort of stuff. You're, you know, you're not bringing the axes and the hatchets and uh, saws and whatnot. He shows you how to do stuff without all that. And 
And I guess, I guess from a point of view, like that you hear about people, and I was looking on the AA forum there just this week, and somebody was asking about, he, he's nervous about going to the backcountry. He wants to do a solo trip, but he's terrified of bears, terrified of the backwoods. He's scared about sleeping at night. And I guess the more knowledge you have, the more you, like, you know, stuff like you know, bears aren't going to, unless it's a predatory bear, which is like one in, in 50,000, which is so rare, it's not going to happen in your lifetime type thing. This is, for, to be forewarned is to be forearmed, to know how to navigate so that you're if you're caught in a pinch in a, in a storm and you get blown off course or, or whatever, and you're not sure what part of the lake you're in or what part of the river, some of these things can let you calm down so you don't panic. And I'm not. I'm never going to encourage anybody to go out there and and be a less Stroud survivor man. This is this is just for people out there enjoying themselves and finding something to make them more comfortable with themselves in the backcountry. Yeah, and it's also some of the stuff that he puts in the book sort of r- reminds me of the old time camping, the old time hiking, yes, the yes. old time canoe trips. Just some like using the wool blankets. And wrapping everything in one wool blanket. Now, there's a lot of stuff in here that we wouldn't be able to do depending on where you're going. Like, he's cutting sticks, uh, you know, small tree branches and all that to make lightweight packs and stuff like that, which we couldn't do. I and mean, it's a little excessive. It is. Um, but when he's talking about taking a blanket, a wool blanket, and you're putting your, your clothes in that blanket and rolling it all up, you know, and you're putting you know, a knife and you're putting your matches and you're putting all this other stuff in uh, and then rolling it all up and bundling it. You know, like uh, you see them with the with the rolled up blanket on their back traveling, you know, hiking across the, the country sort of thing. That reminds me of the old time ways to do things. And that's what he's sort of doing, the minimalistic aspect of it. Now, if you throw that into a canoe or a kayak or something like that and, you know, you're out uh, on a trip, I mean, that's 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 pretty decent to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about it though, and, and I've been sort of reading up on it, And I mean, I haven't done this sort of stuff. I mean, you, you, you do the knots, you know, when, when yes. you're setting up tent or, uh, you know, a tarp or hanging something, your, your food bag or your, you know, ropes on your canoe when you're leading the canoe down, down a river or something. Yeah. It's all part of bushcraft. You know, you, you do these things cause you've been doing them this way forever. But you don't start to think about the different types of knots and, and um, things like that, you know, the different ways to do things and the names for them. I used to know all that when I was in Boy Scouts mm-hmm. way back when. Um, as a matter of fact, I've got my compass. My parents bought me in when I was a Cub Scout uh, and we were going to camps. Uh, I still have that compass and it still works and it's, it's great. And the things, man must be an antique by now that's what i'm thinking (laughs) how old are you when you're in cubs what like eight something like that yeah so it's got to be like 40 years old now um but you start getting into these knots and you start reading up on the knots and you're thinking i know where i could use that knot and you know i've been tying a tarp this way and if i use that knot i could do something different so you're like creating efficiencies making things easier on yourself you are and you start going through the book and you know he's even telling you ways to start fires that you know what? Maybe I'll practice that at home first. Not in my house, of course, because <laughs> I've already got in trouble once. Yes. <laughs> hey, all I got to say to my wife is if you're going to give me a flint and steel for Christmas and it's going to be wrapped in paper, 
<laughs> what do you think I'm going to do? That's all I'm saying. I'm so that right away. <laughs> so you know, he's telling you how to do start different fires, and and you're going to start maybe try it out in your backyard or your garage or whatever first. And when you figure out how to do it, then when you go on a canoe trip, instead of whipping out the lighter. You're going to try it it's in practical try. It's application, right? Exactly. You've got a lot of time from dawn till dusk. And if you're not out paddling, then you're setting up camp or taking a nap. It's There's a lot of time in the day. When you take away the TV, when you take away the radio, wow, there's a lot of time in your day. Oh, there is. There definitely is. So if we go start going through his book, um, yeah, part one when he's talking about gear. He's talking about your pack and he's talking about what you need and how to pack it and things, things you don't really need, but you might want to throw in and things that you're not going to need. So why bother carrying it? That sort of uh, stuff. Yeah. And he does go from a perspective of, of older technologies and stuff like that. You know, like I'm not going to be going back to some of these older rucksacks and external frame packs and, and whatnot. No. Um, but, and you know, he, he doesn't really talk about the new you know downfield sleeping bags and the thermo rest mattress yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then he gets into the tools like the knives the saws the axes and the different ways you can use those tools um you got to remember the book is based on survival um the survivalist uh mentality you know surviving in the in the wilderness it does so he, a lot of the things he's teaching is what to do this and that with the with your your tools. Some of it you're not going to use, but it, I think it's still a, a good thing to try out and learn. Um, then he gets into, again, the ropes and the knots and the, you know, different types of cords and the applications for the different types of ropes, you know, everything from paracord to, uh, you know, thick rope and, and whatnot. Um, cooking tools and containers, you know, the minimal types of pots and plates and and stuff that you should bring and i mean i'll take a pot and i'll eat i'll you know i'll boil wa water into that pot and then use it to make a coffee and then oatmeal in the same pot sort of thing so you know i'm, I'm using one pot for everything um he goes into um tarps hammocks yeah old time sleeping bags and stuff wool blankets and natural shelters you know so you know, keeping yourself dry, keeping yourself warm, out of the elements, uh, getting a good night's sleep and, and whatnot. Um, and then the combustion fire starting aspect of it. Um, you know, matches, um, the different, uh, you know, drill, fire stick, that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, different methods of starting fire. It's, it is, a lot of this would be great once the zombie apocalypse comes around. You learn how to get out there in the backwoods, find yourself in the backcountry, and build yourself a log cabin, proper fence to keep the zombies out, and stuff like that. Right, so next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to be honest, there's there's a lot of good material in here. And there is. It's it's. I'm just leafing through it now, and it, there's a lot of interesting stuff. It's like, oh, that's where that came from. So it's uh, it is interesting. Well, part one of the book is stuff you should learn before you get out in the backcountry, and I mean part yes. two is is still that you should know some stuff. But part two is sort of gets into when you're out there, how to put different things into um, use and how, how to apply what you what you know. Um, part two starts with the setting up of camp. 
and he gets into the like choosing your site and what what you yes. need to. He gets into I think it's the four W's. The four W's. Um, wood, water, wind, and whatever that last one. Is. <laughs> I'm trying to find it out. Wood, water, wind, and widowmakers. Oh, widowmakers. Widow yes. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, it's all when you're choosing your campsite. Like, is there water close by? Is there enough wood nearby? Are you going to be sheltered from the wind? You know, um, that sort of stuff. And he he teaches you what to look for. So that yeah, when you're out there, then you can make a an informed decision on where you make your camp. So you're not going to end up hurt or cold, or uh, you're going to be able to get water, and you're going to be able to have enough wood to to build a fire to keep warm, which is part of the survival thing, right? Then it gets in, and this is the part that has really intrigued me. I think I really want to get back into it because it was a big thing when I was in, in Cubs and Scouts and, and whatnot was the navigation and terrain, maps and compasses. I want to start getting back into that, learning, you know, you used to take the map and they say find where you are and you got to go from point A to point B to point C to point D using nothing but the map and the compass and, and that sort of stuff. Um, I used to enjoy that. I don't know if you've ever done that sort of thing. I've done. I, I I remember doing orienteering in uh, when I was in school, and and I did some map reading and stuff when I was in the military, and navigation courses and stuff like that. So I, there's there's some of that still back in the back of my mind. You know, I can t- still do transits. I can still look take a transit off a mountain and off a tree and get a get a you know a direction I need to be going. Yeah, and some of the stuff he gets into even, uh, we were reading the one example earlier, is at night, if you need to know which way you're going, which way you're facing, it's the example of you put a stick in the ground and then you lay down and you look at the top of the stick, you line it up with a star. And after a while, the star moves and you can tell by which way the star moved left or right or went higher or lower than the stick, you're able to tell which way you're facing and which way you need to be going. Uh, which, I mean, little things like that are, yeah, hopefully you're never going to have to use it, but it'd be cool if you're out out there to actually try it. Yes. You know, <laughs> I mean, we, we do the, the look at the stars, point out the constellations, there's the North Star sort of thing. You know, you, you, you learn all that stuff, and when you're out, on a canoe trip or, you know, camping and you're enjoying the night air and looking up at the sky, the, st- the sky, you're checking out all these constellations because you've learned that. So to learn something like the stick to know which way you're facing at night is, is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. In a pinch, there's a lot of things in here that if you knew beforehand, it could save you big time. There's, there's a lot of hints and stuff about map reading and navigating and and how to there's five navigation methods every woodsman should know there's a section here and he, he just talks about i'm not going to get into the details of it because you're not going to remember it anyways but if you read the book and i, I gave this a good read and there's there it talks about how you find points on a map hopefully you have a map but it tells you about finding points on a map and how to not go too far how to know you're if you're lost how to get back to where you should be there's, so there's a lot of hints of uh, you know at the panic azimuth and aiming off of a of a, uh, of a of a point or whatever so there's a lot of interesting items here that really it's it, you, having this book with you in the backwoods is not going to help you it's something that you should maybe 
you know, play around with on short trips and say, oh, how, what does this mean? What does that mean? Right. It's stuff that you should have in your head and not trying to learn when you're already in danger. Yeah. At that point, I think it's a bit too late. But that, that's my whole point of this book is that you could get it and start learning some of this stuff and try it out on the trips and, you know, your own backyard or go down to the lake. And, yes. You know, and, and this is going to be really this is going to mean something more to backcountry travelers like uh, long like long trip by canoe and stuff like that if you're out for a day trip out for just like your kayaking or your stand-up paddleboard chances are you're going to be in a park or some local setting but if you're on a, a long-term trip if you're going two weeks into the backwoods of uh, some northern lake area then this could come in handy when you're trying to navigate a couple years back me and some buddies were trying to find some uh some old uh, native uh, land routes and we we're trying to find the old original ones and there's no maps for it there's there wasn't very good markings none of the portages were marked we had to beat the bush and try and find these ancient ancient uh, trade routes that we were looking for it was this was way north of Sudbury and uh, so a lot of these maps reading skills probably would have come in handy back then we did find most of the routes we did there was one whole day where we hunted for like four hours in the backwoods and we were bushwhacking with uh, canoes over our heads and trying to shove them between trees just to try and find where this uh, portage was and uh, it was a long slog long day and if we had better map reading skills we might have saved ourselves that <laughs> trouble <laughs> yeah it always comes down to the map reading skills um, but he also gets into a section on trees which I mean um, seeing some of the old old movies and stuff and you know, uh, they're talking about your canoe break. If your canoe breaks, or you need to put it, fix a hole and stuff. You've seen the get the old pine sap going, and you know, mix it with some some uh, charcoal ash from yeah. your fire and sap and charcoal yeah, and, and some, a binding agent. He talks about where you use the fuzz from cattails or something. Yeah, you, it's creating glue. If uh, what's the uh, Caesar's canoe on? Uh, National, film, National board. film board. So if you watched, if you ever watched any of the National Film Board stuff, you would have seen Caesar's canoe, and he builds a birch bark canoe from scratch, and uh, he shows the preparation of the the pine glue, and it's 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 really good stuff. It ends up making it almost like an epoxy like glue over the seams. Yeah. So this book here talks about that and how to create the adhesives and pitch, and how the medicinal value of of like white pine needles and the the first aid well it's not, so the glue that you could use to glue a uh, birch bark canoe together you could also use that to uh, glue a cut closed so you could uh, prepare this glue and if you're in the backwoods and you need to you know splint yourself up or close a cut in a pinch then you could make this glue yeah and there's the one yeah he's talking i think it's the pine sap uh when you use that to close like as a second skin sort of thing. Yes. But it's also a bit medicinal for it to help stop infections. Uh, they're talking about, was it the black oak? You get three things the from the black oak. Black tannin, walnut. Or black, was it black walnut? Yeah. Tannins. Iodine. Iodine. Um, and juggalone, whatever. Yeah. Ju so <laughs> juggalone, juggalone, it's the, the crushed walnut shell or the cr crushed outer part of the walnut. So the walnut has a, it looks like an apple. And if you open it up, you get the walnut shell. And inside the walnut shell is the meat. You can eat the meat. And if you crush up the outer part of the uh, of the raw walnut, it can be used to, in small pools to knock fish out for fishing if you had to. Yeah, so that's, it's kind of cool hearing little things like that. Now, the one part that um, I haven't got to yet, which I don't know, it'd be more for reading in my own general um, 
interest sort of thing because I, you know, and, and as I say, if it's a wilderness survival book, it talks about trapping and processing game meat. Yes. Um, yes. Now, you know, it shows traps which I would never have with me, but there are other traps like you can it shows make how snares, you make snares, and make yeah. traps out of uh, reeds and and branches. Yeah, and not whatever. necessarily having the the foot traps mm-hmm. and and whatnot. But I know you were looking at some of the recipes in there. Yes. For yes, like squirrel. Yes. <laughs> and I've always wanted to try squirrel. It's one of my goals. I'm someday I'm going to eat squirrel. It's very popular in the southern states. Uh, I don't know if anybody from the southern states listen to our show, but uh, it's very popular down there. There's uh, routine. They have big menus of this. Of, I, I've watched a cooking show, and it was uh, a couple of big name chefs who were talking about different menus and recipes for squirrels. Like, <laughs> I didn't know that it was that big of a thing. Wasn't but, that roadkill? restaurant show was it (laughs) (laughs) i saw that show that was good (laughs) raccoon on the side of the road hey i'll tell you how to make that roast so you know one of them is uh, like boiled beaver ingredients is one hind quarter of a beaver one large onion three carrots and two teaspoons of salt which Mm. is fine but when i'm out (laughs) if i'm in a survival situation okay i trapped a beaver let me just reach my pack and get the salt and the, the onion, onion. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, you could be prepared and have the dehydrated onion with you. Well, you could. Yeah, there's raccoon stew and snapping turtle in a pot. Don't don't do snapping turtle in a pot. <laughs> Comes with its own pot. Yeah, well, that is bad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know what? It's a really interesting book. I've I've read it a couple times. Um, there's there's more. Like I say, I, I'm getting the rope and relearning some some knots I used to know back in the day and uh, just relearning again. And again, there's ones that you follow the instructions and you tie it and you're going, oh, I use this one all the time. (laughs) But because you're doing it slow and following it in a book, you don't realize (laughs) that you're doing a knot you tie every other day. Yes. Right? Like the granny knot? Yeah, the the granny knot. That's it. The one in my shoelace, right? Um, But yeah, and I think I'm I'm really going to use that book for the orienteering aspect I, yes. I think i think it's that is one um skill that i really let lapse over the years just and i think it's it's a good thing to relearn because everybody now is relying on um like gps portable yeah, gps reliance on electronic devices yeah i mean in the truck i, I still use uh ontario roadmap I've still, I mean, we were in the truck and I threw one at you. Um, I still have the roadmaps I still like to use, you know, and follow my route on paper as opposed to a GPS unit. But when it comes to using a camp uh, compass and knowing where I am and, and, you know, traveling from point A to point B, I think it's a, a skill that was, um, as you say, when the zombie apocalypse happens, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need that skill. I know which way to run. In the end, though, I'd say this is, uh, if anybody's serious about uh, backcountry camping or long trips and, and getting out there and challenging yourself, if you're into that or if you want to improve your, your craft and get into something like that, this might be a good book to have in your library. It's uh, Bushcraft 101, Field Guide to the Art of Wilderness Survival by Dave Canterbury. And once you get through that book, it looks like he's got at least one other. I think he's got a couple books here, but the other one is Advanced Bushcraft, oh. an expert field guide to the art of wilderness survival. So I guess the first book is just 
you know, if you want to <laughs> get started, if you want to get started at surviving. <laughs> well, I'm then, curious what's in the other one. I it doesn't. It, I haven't seen this book yet. I just happen to notice it's here. Um, but I think it goes into more detail of more things that you can Extensive. do. Extensive. Yeah. So I guess this one, first one, just gets you by. And the other one. And the other one definitely makes sure you survive. Yes. So check it out, Bushcraft One Hundred and One. You can get. I got mine at Chapters um, Bookstore. They're 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 available. It's not too expensive, and it's definitely a good read. I'd say check it out. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. When we talked to David Bain about the Canoe Symposium, he mentioned one of the speakers uh, was going to be a gentleman that has paddled all the little creeks and streams and whatnot of the Grand River system. It got me to thinking about what we have in the Durham region, you know, in Ajax, uh, Oshawa, Whitby area, Bowmanville. Um, You get up into Port Perry and, you know, up through there. All the local rivers that we have in this area. Now, I know when I do think about canoe tripping, I'm thinking about heading north. So I'm going up to Algonquin or I'm going to Killarney or, or someone farther north than just, you know, two minutes down the road. Which is what most people think of. They think of destination adventures, right? So you're, you're thinking of an end point. You're thinking something that's away from home. Yeah. Yeah, nothing, nothing really close. I mean, but when I start looking at the map, um, I notice, I mean, we're down at Rotary. It's a place called Rotary Park down on Lake Ontario. Um, there's Duffins Creek that comes out of there. And... Man, I guess the kids were, were just little at the time. We took the old canoe up there. Um, we didn't go too far because you have to start getting out of the canoe and doing liftovers and that for some fallen logs and whatnot. So with the kids as young as they were, we just weren't going to do that. Uh, we headed back down into the bay. Uh, but you start looking at all the rivers and small yeah. bodies of water that you can paddle. I mean, there's lots of lakes around. But if you want to do some some river paddling and stuff, you've got in in Port Hope, you've got the Ganaraska. Up near Port Perry, you've got Nonquan. Uh, there's Bowmanville Creek. There's Oshawa Creek. There's um, Scugog, which I'll get into in a minute. There's Duffins Creek, and there's the Rouge, which is closer to Toronto. There there are a lot of rivers and and bodies of water creeks and streams that you can start paddling from lake ontario and head up and many of them are navigable most times a year some of them aren't so much like the bowenville creek and sober creek and bowenville it's they, they get pretty shallow late summer yeah but in spring they, they're easily navigable if you want to run these rivers these creeks well and some of them i mean if you're just going out for a day you know taking a saturday or a, a yeah. lazy sunday um i know there's some parts where some of these rivers that, that go up uh like the the duffins creek and rouge where, yeah, you're going to have to get out of your canoe and do a little bit of, of uh, lining your canoe or just towing it or, you know, over gravel bars and such. Um, but, I mean, you know what? If you're out on a nice, hot, sunny day and you're just looking to, you know, do some exploring, this is perfect. 
You and get to explore what's local to you, your local destinations. And that's something that most people miss. Like, they, I, I know a lot of towns, they have tourists in your own town because people, everybody thinks of getting away on destinations. Then nobody ever thinks of investigating what's local to them. So I guess what we could, in, what we're trying to get at here is that it's an opportunity to think about what's local to you. What do you miss on your day-to-day travels when you when you think that you're going to go and find a destination to paddle to? Are you ignoring what's local? If you're going to something that you could go out for a Saturday afternoon and and check out your local creeks or your local watersheds, there's there's a lot out there that you often forget. And until I heard David Bain talking about this last week, it's like, oh yeah, you know, there's so many little waterways that that I pass by or pass up, and often in the spring when there's no leaves and the waters and the snow's melting, and you say, oh look at that creek. I never even thought of that one. But then you forget about it when the leaves come back and and you again start planning on your, your distant destinations for your tripping. Yeah, there's lots of um, er- little creeks in our area that I've passed by like dozens of times and you just don't think about it. Now, I, I look at Lake Ontario. I mean, we're, I'm like five-minute drive from the lake and I could just throw the canoe in there and, and paddle the shoreline just to see some stuff. Um, and, you know, get out for a, a paddle, but it's not something I regularly do. And I've, I've decided this year, this summer, I'm going to do a lot more. Like go out for an evening paddle. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not going a, a great distance out of the lake. That's just foolish in a small craft like that, like a yes. canoe or something. Lake Ontario can be dangerous. It's, it's yeah, but water. I mean, just, just cruising the shoreline to, you know, like 50 feet offshore or something like that. Um, but in my observations, um, just looking at different rivers and stuff. I came across one little route. I thought, hey, this would be pretty cool to do. And it's, what's Port Perry? Port Perry's maybe 40 minutes north of us, not even. Yeah. Um, yes. You can put in at Port Perry on Lake Scugog. And now when I see Lake Scugog, I don't think it's all that big. But now that I'm looking, I'm getting it's, into this. I guess it is bigger than, than, than I thought. You could actually, if you wanted to do local, I mean, we talk about doing these massive canoe trips, right? That, you know, go go for a week-long canoe trip. Well, if you put in at Port Perry, you can go up the lake, up uh, the Scugog River. Uh, yeah, so put in at, uh, at Lake Scugog, go up the Scugog River through Lindsay. through Lindsay into Sturgeon Lake. And then from Sturgeon Lake at Bob Cajun, it turns into... Pigeon Lake. And from Pigeon Lake, you then go into Buckhorn, uh, Stony Lake. Yes, Stony Lake. Clear Lake. Now, Stony Lake. Isn't Stony Lake where you got yes, married? Yes, uh, Stony Lake. I get married on the surface of Stony Lake in the middle of winter, in the middle of February, on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't <Good> a plan. plan. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and then that turns into Clear Lake. And then you cruise through Young's Point, there's a, the, the highway crosses over, 28 crosses over, uh, into Kachawanuka Lake. Say that 10 times real fast. <laughs> and then the Autonomie River. Now, once you hit the Autonomie River, it's quite the long river, windy and, and whatnot. It covers and it, quite a distance. And Autonomie River passes through Peterborough. Yes, it passes right through. And you end up in Rice Lake. Now, Rice Lake, growing up, is... Um, that is the place to go for pike or uh, sorry pickerel and, and bass fishing. Yeah, good fishing. Yeah, uh, really, really weedy lake. Um, now, if you go to so once you once you get into Rice Lake, uh, 
you go to the northeast corner, and that turns into the Trent River. The Trent River system, again, is another quite long and windy river system that ends up right down at Trenton. Um, oh, on, Bay Quinty. on the Bay of Quinty. And again, a, a massive pickerel uh, fishing place there. Um, and then there's just a little straight little canal that goes out onto Lake Ontario. And from Lake Ontario, once you hit Lake Ontario, you can follow the shoreline right back to Bowmanville, Ajax, or, yes. or wherever, right? So I'm thinking, you know what? This would be a nice little jaunt. You know, maybe take a few days. <laughs> well, when we looked but at this initially, we thought, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll look at this. We'll plan this trip out. But then uh, I convinced Sean to uh, map it out and, and measure distance. <laughs> and if we were to go from Port Perry all the way through this route, and there's no portaging in any of this. This is pure lake and river travel. And and it's local. But it's going to be about 400 kilometers round yes, trip. round trip. Um, yeah, that's going to be a bit more than a weekend, I think. End-to-end end, uh, between Port Perry and Trenton is just around 300 kilometers, and then you get another jig about 80 kilometers down the lake back to the returning point. Yeah, well, to, to Bowmanville. Yes. I don't know that you can get from Bowmanville straight up to Port Perry without a bit of a portage, <laughs> but you, get, <laughs> a long portage. <laughs> you can get close. Yes. So it's definitely worth checking out local rivers this summer. Um, I, I will mention that th this route that we talked about, this is, uh, most people know this, and if you don't know it, it's the Trent Severn Waterway. And this Trent Severn Waterway crosses through most of south southern Ontario. You can get all the way from uh, the Bay Quinty, Lake Ontario, all the way up into Lake Simcoe and uh, Superior, I believe it yeah, ends. Yeah, Huron. Yeah, and once you get into Lake Huron, like I say, you can get into the Great Lakes and... Yes. You're going everywhere from so there, right? So this is the Trent Severn system that yeah. most of it will be described. Yeah. So you know what? Hop in your canoe, and I suggest you check out some local waterways. Uh, do some exploring this summer. Check them out and see what you can find. Here are some upcoming events to help you get ready for the paddling season. April 15th through 17th is the East Coast Paddle Sports and Outdoor Festival at the James Island County Park, Charleston, South Carolina. On April 16th, is the Kitchener-Waterloo Canoe Symposium at the Princess Twin Cinemas in Waterloo. Now this event is sold out, so this is a reminder for those who have tickets. And for those who do not have tickets, on April 16th is in Port Hope is the Float Your Fanny Down the Ganny event. Go to floatyourfanny.ca. It's a fun event that commemorates the tragic 1980 flood that crippled the Port Hope downtown area. Participants build their own craft to run the Ganaraska River on a 10-kilometer route. On April 22nd through 24th is the Outdoor Adventure Expo, hosted by Midwest Mountaineering in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For these and other events, check out PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com. You've been listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.